Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Well, welcome along. It's half past six on Sunday evening. Shaky Burn and Greg Haynes here sitting in the steward's office, actually, at Brands Hatch after another dramatic weekend not just weather wise shaky but racing wise as well stewards office of brands i bet you've been in here before yeah but for all the right reasons believe uh-huh. it or not right when you uh, when you win the championship you'll see there's always a photograph of you know the ride of the champion if you like with um, a blackboard behind them knelt down with the trophy in front of them blah 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 quite a kind of stereotypical shot if you like and it's always shot in this room so when you said to me right we need to find somewhere quiet i yeah. thought i know exactly where to come um and you know usually when i come here it's because I just won another championship unfortunately this year I'm coming here to talk to you <laughs> oh well sorry about that could be worse I'm just trying to think now where did you win all your championships most of them were won here I'm trying to think were there any won in other places there were actually yeah Cabell Park was my was my first ever championship win that was at um, 2003 I think there was a couple of rounds left to go I won another one at Silverstone um, and I think maybe the the rest of them would have probably been here because yeah, they would have all yeah. been in the in the sort of showdown format. Yeah. And you know the way the showdown is, it's actually pretty much impossible to win the championship anything other than the you know the final round. Well, you'd never have a title being won at Cadwell these days. It seems quite weird now to think that could have actually happened in the past. Obviously, it was later in the season, but even so, yeah, it's physically impossible now because obviously you haven't even started the showdown until yeah. then. So uh, showdown keeps the. Uh, keeps the pressure on everybody you know it keeps the excitement up for the crowd and you know keeps the excitement up for tv and you know gives us something to talk about which is great but yeah it makes it absolutely impossible to win the title before realistically the last the last round of the championship right so what should we talk about today i suppose we'll have to start with uh, josh brooks won't we i it's easy to say it now but i reckon he was going to do a double here but i had my doubts this morning when the weather was coming in i thought well this might shake it up but great riding from brooks today again yeah, I mean, I, I joked about it on TV. I should have put 50 quid on it, really, because <laughs> I, I figured it would be Josh's uh, Josh's weekend. And, you know, I figured it would be Josh's weekend because he'd had 12 wins here before. Um, Josh and I have had some great battles here. And, you know, when he's going good here, he's, he's really fast. But, um, you know, he's up that now to 14, which he could do with nipping in the bud a little bit because I've only got 19 and I don't want him anywhere <laughs> near my uh, near my records. Um, there's, but There's three more races later this year. Yeah, yeah it's flipping great, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, the reason I thought it would be Josh is because he looked really strong at Donington Park. Obviously, Scott done the triple, but, you know, Josh has been strong all year. You know, he had some mechanical problems at the beginning of the season. Um, he had the crash at Donington Park, big high side. Um, but take the uh, take the mechanicals out and and take that crash out and and championship standings wise, he'd be you know pretty much there. Knowing how strong he is, as I said, coming to Brands Hatch, I, I figured this would be Josh's round because I didn't think, to be honest with him, and all credit to him for it, that, that Scott would be quite so quick, quite so fast here. Yeah. I thought he'd use this as a bit of a platform mm. to, you know, to learn, you know, to, to, to get, um, you know, in with the intricacies of this circuit. You know, it's a difficult circuit to learn and then, you know, build his uh, foundation, if you like, for the for the final round of the championship when we come back and actually fight for the title, but far surpassed my expectations and done a, a wonderful job of learning it. Yeah, we've got to talk about Scott having first BSB pole position here this weekend. That's amazing, really, considering he didn't even know the track. He's had a podium this afternoon in the second race. Let's talk about that first, then we'll go to what happened in the first race. To come here and grab pole against your teammate Josh Brooks, of all people, that is that takes some doing. Do you know what... <laughs> You know, this is the shaky show, right? And I'm paid to give my opinion. I'll give my opinion now, but very briefly, it's going to be about Josh Brooks. Mm. 
Josh Brooks's work ethic in British Superbike Championship is absolutely second to none, right? You can almost guarantee your life on the fact that Josh will be the first person out of pit lane on a Friday morning, the first person out of pit lane for every other session, right? But Josh has a very, very good ability or very high ability of going out and going fast straight away. But because of that, all the riders have clicked and they all go out and follow him around and get a lap time. Now, I'm not saying that Scott Redding couldn't have been pole for this race because he's done a very good job of learning the track quickly and was fast. But he tagged onto the back of Josh, as he has done in some of the other rounds, and got dragged around and got pole position. Now, hmm. if I was Josh Brooks, I'd be thinking <clears> to myself, I need to... Un- you know, this this clearly isn't working for me. I need to think about this and I need to try and do something different. You know, just just throw them off the scent a little bit. Yeah. One thing I'll say about, about Josh and myself was that, you know, Josh and I have always had a great rivalry, but Josh was always the first out of the pits and I was always the last because, not because I want to, I don't want to follow anybody in practice. I want a clear track and I want to be able to get out there and I want my boys, you know, to, to time it so that when I get out on track, I'm going to get maybe 10 laps with nobody in my way whatsoever. You know, Josh does it from the front, but the problem is everybody tags onto the back of him and learns from it. Um, Scott done that perfectly and put the bike on pole. So now we can move on to Scott if you want. Actually, just quickly then, did it annoy you when you had people on the back of you? We always see riders getting annoyed. What do you do? Because there's nothing in the rules saying you're not allowed to follow someone. Obviously, you could back off and let them through, but then it messes up your run. What do you actually do? You can have a word with them and say, don't do that, mate. You don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's an unwritten rule, like you say. You know, it's just, you know, I'm not going to lie. You know, there's been there's been guys in front of me on the track before, and and of course you use them as a marker to chase somebody down. But you know, there's some there's some if if you, you know, knowing how good you are with numbers and stats and stuff, if you sat in your commentary booth and watched the start of every BSB session, it wouldn't take you very long to uh, to figure out who some of the main culprits are for for doing exactly what I just mentioned. But you know, every now and again, you might tag on the back of somebody and it might be because they've just finished their first flying lap and you've just come out of the pits and you think, right, okay, I'll, I'll scrub my tyre real quick. They're not going to get a million miles away. And then, you know, yeah. I'll try and chase them down. And, and you know, that might happen. But, um, yeah, there's certainly some guys in this championship that, that seem to, to specialise in, in finding that special toe. But like I said, if, mm-hmm. I, was, if I was Josh... I admire his work ethic. I admire the fact that he's always the guy out there first. I admire he's the first guy to put the slicks in when the conditions are a bit sketchy. But, yeah, you know, he's going to have some tough competition for the championship this year. And, you know, he needs to have a little bit of a think about things for himself. So talking about dodgy tyre choices, he just touched on it. Let's go back now to Reading in race one. He was the only guy in the whole field to put on a different tyre, an intermediate tyre, essentially. Dropped like a stone, didn't he? Dropped from pole position all the way to the back fought up past Barber and Winfield in the end to finish 22nd but uh, yeah well over a minute behind his teammate Josh Brooks now is that is that not a bit of a rookie error when he's the only guy in the field to do that I remember James Witter in the past has said usually if you're the only guy on it is it worth the risk would he have known he was the only guy on that different tyre well Scott started from pole position so yeah. you know you can't see yeah. you know, he doesn't have eyes in the back of his head he does have a picture of some eyes on the back of his crash arm in the back yeah. of his levers but yeah. I very much doubt that he can see through yeah. them um, you know um, it was a mistake and he actually said to me after the race if I made that same mistake again I'd punch myself on the jaw for doing it um, <laughs> and I thought to myself well that's probably not very intelligent either do you know what I mean but um, you know what yeah. at this stage of the championship you know he can roll with it. The, the one thing that, that impressed me was, one, he stayed up on that tyre because the, the conditions would have been horrible on the on the intermediate rear until probably 15 of the 20 laps of the race. And the second thing was that he actually had a dig at the end of the race and done a lap fast enough on the second to last lap, I believe, to, to put himself on pole. So it wasn't all lost, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I suppose it, you know, I suppose he won't make that mistake again. But then again, it's difficult. Had it rained, he would have perhaps looked like the hero of the hour, wouldn't he? And I guess that's what he was hoping was going to happen, maybe? No, no, quite quite <laughs> the opposite, because he put an intermediate tyre on when everybody else was yeah. on wet. So had it oh, Sorry, rained, of course, it had to go the yeah. other way. Yeah. yeah, think about it, Greg, come sorry, on. Sorry, sorry, it's been um, longer. <laughs> had it dried out, I think he would have looked like the hero of the hour. You know what actually really worried me in that race was that we actually got uh, a couple of laps where there were a few spots of rain again, and I just thought to myself, oh, no, you know, he's he's gone with that choice. It's clearly... I mean, he will have known from the minute he yeah. tried to get off the line. Yeah. Um, 
I've messed up, you know. Um, and you know what the problem is as a as a rider, an established rider, you know, a guy that's come here thinking he's coming here to try mm-hmm. and win this championship. You know, when you've got some of the guys that are normally lower down the order kind of barging you out of the way because you're on the wrong tyre, yeah. you think to yourself, oh, I'm not having that, and, you know, get on the gas. It would be very, very easy to, to, to kind of get flicked off the bike and, and you know, do yourself an injury. But as I said, I was impressed he stayed on. You know, he dug in, track dried up towards the end. He put in a lap time that was good enough for pole and onwards and upwards for race two. And it looks like he's going to be doing a wild card at Donington in World Superbike. So that'll be pretty exciting, won't it, later in the year? Yeah, well, you wrote that, didn't you? I mean, I, I saw it in the Motorcycle News and thought, blimey, that's going to be interesting. And I think the great thing about it is I don't think he's going to have to do it on his BSB bike, from what I understand. Um, you know, the... the, the sort of parity between world super bikes and and bsb bikes is is fairly similar apart from Mm. one major contributing factor which is the electronics and you know a bike that's got traction control anti-wheelie and you know slide control and all the kind of nonsense that they have at the moment in in world superbike over 20 laps kind of has to be better to ride than a bike that has none so you know scott going there to to try and finish top bsb bike if you like doesn't really make a lot of sense but from what i understand it seems that you know the ducati test team bikes that that michaeli piro is going to ride in Mazzano actually in the next world mm-hmm. round yeah. are going to be made available first for scott to use in the you know in the in the world superbike round at donington and i think it'll be a great a great place for him to sort of showcase his his talent and and not only that to show how strong the BSB riders actually are. And I'm not going to lie, there's been a bit of a whisper in the media centre here that that wildcard might not be happening at Donington later in the year, but talking to people here at Brands, I think it seems as though it will. But just put, put that out there, there was a bit of a whisper. I think it, <laughs> I think it all will happen on which there. way the wind blows. Um, yeah, I think that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's rumours it's on, there's rumours it's off. Um, I spoke to Scott, he seems fairly excited about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think he feels he could do a, do a great job and, you know, it's a, it's a great advert for how strong this championship is and a great advert for Scott if he does a good job on, on, on how fast he clearly is himself. Yeah, I agree. I think it would be uh, great for BSB World Superbikes and all the organisers and everyone involved in the event if it did happen. Yeah, I think there's always going to be um, there's always going to be this this kind of difficult thing of like this is BSB and that's WSB, right? Yeah. The, the, the two championships, yeah. you know, they're, they're in very, very high competition. You'd have to say that Arguably, um, BSB is more popular. Arguably, the racing's far closer. You know, nobody can can dismiss that fact. But and far more know, unpredictable as well. Yeah, um, but ultimately, world championships have to be seen as a progression. Um, I don't think Stuart Higgs would, would mind me saying that. You know, you can't say that the winning the British Championship has the the same. Um, kudos, if you like, as it was winning a World Superbike Championship. And do you know what? If you said to me right now, Shaky, I'll give you one World Superbike Championship if you give me six of your BSB ones, I'd take it because I only ever dreamt of being a world champion. Um, you know, so for, for Scott to go there and do a good job, which I believe fully that he could, I think it's a great advertisement for what we're doing here in BSB. And actually, just mentioning Stuart Higgs there, of course, the BSB Championship boss with MSV is the race director, the series director. We had him on the show, didn't we, at uh, Alton Park earlier this year? I didn't get a lot of choice in the matter, did I? <laughs> he didn't, as the, as the man of the shaky show, he didn't, he just invaded, didn't he? In fact, he was here with us just before we started recording today, wasn't he? And he said, I won't gatecrash this one. <laughs> but uh, I remember he said on Twitter, going back a year or two now, he said, actually, somebody was talking about the two championships and Stuart felt in that particular Twitter post, that tweet, that they both need each other. Worlds needs British, British needs world. I don't know, what do you reckon? I think that Stuart Higgs is a, is a very, very intelligent man. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, he clearly knows what his championship needs to thrive. Yeah. And, you know, he's always adjusting things. He's always kind of making that next step and, you know, always trying to bring things together. And, you know, as we saw at um, our podcast in Orton Park, you know, <clears throat> he didn't actually dismiss the fact of, of one day, you know, maybe, maybe things changing you know in, in quite a dramatic fashion um i think that the world championship riders will always see themselves as world championship riders yeah. but do i think that if you brought Chaz davis or i don't know 
Alex Lowe's or, or, or some of the other guys back here now that they'd absolutely walk the British Superbike Championship? No, I don't. No chance. Yes, for sure they win races. Leon Camier, he could win races. John from Ray, for sure, could win races. He'd win a lot of races. Yeah. But would he come mm -hmm. here and walk the championship? I don't think any of them would because the bikes with the electronics are quite different to ride and they take a lot yeah. of getting your head around. I mean, look at the flip side right now. Um, the current British Superbike champion is already being spoke about being replaced by top rack Razagotli Oglu in, yeah. uh, in the World Superbike Championship because top rack's, you know, unquestionably doing a slightly better job at the moment. You know, Leon will get his head around the electronics again and Leon will go fast. And I dare say Leon will be backing up Jonathan in, in plenty of races. But, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world and, and both championships want to be as strong as possible. Just been hearing this week as well, actually, on that uh, Kawasaki racing team front, lots of rumours that they want a Spanish rider there next year as well. So I think Toprak personally would be, for what it's worth, a great teammate to uh, Jonathan Ray. Not that we've got anything against Leon Haslam, obviously, but if they were to change the lineup, but I'm hearing Xavi Vieje, Tito Rabat, Alex Marquez, apparently he's talking with the team. You can't blame them for talking with the Spaniard, I suppose, but yeah, it's dog eat dog out there, isn't it? It's a savage world, you know. I um, I actually had a quick chat with Ben Curry moving back to uh, moving yeah, back to the British yeah, Superbike yeah. Championship again. <laughs> um, I spoke with him in the garage whilst race one was on and was asking him about his foot and stuff and, you know, whether he'd be back for Knock Hill and, you know, he said, um, you know, he said he was he was still pretty sore and he picked up a little bit of an infection and, and whatever else and he was hoping to be fixed. But you know what, that, that Kawasaki team's a great team and, you know, Pete Extance and I get on quite well and I spent a bit of time talking with Pete over the weekend and, you know, it's clear to me that they're, they're fully behind Ben Curry. Um, and that's nice to see, you know, because he's a young kid, he's done a good job on, on the Kawasaki Supersport bike, which you'd have to argue, despite Michael Dubidaf's, you know, dedication, passion and whatever else you want to call it for, mm. for British Supersport Championship with, with Kawasaki bikes. Yeah, the Kawasaki isn't isn't the Yamaha. The Yamaha's the bike you need to have um, to be at the front as, as we've seen. Yeah, it's nice to see that, that Pete and the boys are, are fully behind Ben and his recovery and, and telling him that don't rush, get yourself fixed properly, come back and then we'll, we'll have another shot at it. Some nasty incidents actually over the weekend. Ryan Vickers was another one. Uh, all the indications pointing towards the fact that uh, the RAF regular reserves rider won't be riding at Knock Hill. What's he got to do to get a break at the moment? And the broken collarbone, obviously, at Donington, and then it all goes wrong here in free practice three? Yeah, I don't think it's a, the wrong way of wording it. Was what he got to do to get a break? Yeah, Bless him. That's why he's had a couple of yeah, them just lately. Yeah. Um, you know what? It's, uh, it's a, a big ask for a kid that's been, to be fair, he absolutely dominated British Superstock 600 Championship. Fantastic little rider, clearly very talented, um, but jumping onto a 220-odd horsepower superbike with with no electronics. I'm not saying it's impossible because we're seeing him do you know good things already, but when these things bite, they 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 bite hard. It's not a little nip, you know. It's like a take your leg off type kind of mm. lion's bite. And um, I'm not saying that inexperience has caught him out. I'm not saying anything. What I'm saying is that. It's difficult, you know. If if racing superbikes was easy, everybody would be winning. Yeah, that's very true, I suppose. And uh, best wishes with Ryan. Hopefully, back as soon as possible. Right. If you didn't watch the races over the weekend, quick recap: Brooks Linfoot Bridewell race one, and it was Brooks Bridewell Reading race two. Dan Linfoot and the Tag Yamaha, the Santander Salt sponsored Tag Yamaha. They had a few sort of mysterious brake problems, didn't they, at the beginning of the year? But they really profited through the conditions in race one earlier. Great second place. Yeah, he did, yeah. I mean, they, um, they've had their brake problems and they seem to have got around them. I find, it, I find it a little bit odd that, you know, we're four or five rounds into the championship and they've just got their head around mm. a problem. Um, however, if you as a team um, have brake problems, so you replace the calipers, for instance, the brake pads, the brake discs, the master cylinder and the brake lines, there's not really much else you can do to fix that problem. Um, you know, if you put a brand new system on a number of times, you'd expect the problem to go away, but it, but it hasn't. But for whatever reason, they fixed it now, which is great. And it's really nice to see Dan running back at the front again. Um, more than capable of winning a BSB race, wet or dry, as we've seen. His first ever win actually came in the wet on the Honda. And uh, I personally mm. texted him to, to congratulate <clears throat> him and, and said, you know, well done, mate, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, but when he backed it up with a dry win, I was actually far happier for him because you know nobody wants to uh, to be known to have only won a race in in sort of iffy yeah. conditions. But yeah, real good to see that bike back up at the front. Josh Brooks done a great job with him um, a couple of seasons ago when he rode that bike. Um, actually finished second in the championship for that team so uh, the team more than capable of running at the front and Dan proven that this weekend yeah that first win he had was at uh, Silverstone wasn't it the Silverstone situation as, as it was named when uh, I thought we were going to have a boycott at one point that day but uh, how many people finished about eight riders wasn't it finished that race six riders finished six um, God <laughs> knows is, how uh, God knows how much money's worth of damage was caused and yeah. God knows how many sore bodies were caused but uh I I really wasn't happy about that decision. Um, you know, in my opinion, that race shouldn't have got run, um, or it should have been delayed. Um, Stuart obviously will have a completely different opinion of that. Whether or not that's justified, I don't know. It's not something we really need to get into in the podcast. But uh, I'd say that 99% of the time, Stuart is a great race director. Maybe that 0.1 of a percent of the time, he uh, he 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 wasn't, or he wasn't in my eyes anyway. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Should let's talk about on? here and now. Let's yeah, let's talk about here and, here and now. That's that's great. Lovely weather here now, by the way, ironically, after everything earlier on. Should we talk about Danny Buchan? He had a good day, didn't he? Fourth in race one. Obviously, it's easy just to re- fourth in both races, actually. But more than the result itself, it's the way he did it, wasn't it? The way he was sort of punching through. And he could still be a showdown contender this year. Danny is a good rider in a good team on a great bike. I really like that FS3 team, you know, Nigel Snook, Dave Parks and the guys there, Matt Llewellyn, the crew chief, you know, mm. a former World Super, uh, BSB race winner, actually. Um, you know, so very experienced, relatively new, but quite experienced at the same time, you know, com- combined in, um, what do you, what you want to say? I mean, there's a lot of guys in there with a lot of knowledge yeah, in a, in a yeah. new team. Darren yeah. Fryer kind of running the thing, you know, they all know their way around mm. racing. and. You know, they've built a team around Danny Buchan that's given him the ability to to thrive, if you like, the way he does when he rides a super stock bike. You know, when we see Danny on a stocker, he's almost unbeatable. You know, absolutely no question the boy can ride a motorbike. Um, but in the past and even, you know, even this year to a, to a certain degree, a couple of times, you see him just lose a little bit of confidence and when it does, it really affects him. Um, you could argue that it's perhaps a little bit of a Bradley Ray situation. It's just Danny seems to be able to recover a little bit quicker than uh, than Bradley does. But um, Danny this weekend, two fourth places, that's great for him. Um, it's not a podium and he would have won in podiums for sure. But when he gels with that FS3 Kawasaki, when he's riding the way we know he's more than capable of riding, he looks so good on the bike. He's so good to watch. You know, he's, he's all action. There's elbows out everywhere. There's elbows on the floor. I mean, he's that <laughs> flipping lanky that he pretty much gets his crash helmet down. But um, yeah. yeah, great guy to watch. Um, hopefully he'll take a lot of strength and a lot of confidence from this. Kawasaki's traditionally have gone pretty good at knock hill. So uh, maybe we'll be seeing more of boom, boom at the front. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just looking at this. is interesting because the top six at the moment is Bridewell, Reading, Brooks, McKenzie, and we'll talk about him in a second, Buchan. Forrest is still in the top six. But looking at the podium points, if the showdown started now, which of course it's not, but if it did, we'd actually have Brooks on 20 podium points. So Brooks would effectively have a three-point lead over Scott Reading. And then you would next up have Bridewell five behind. One behind him would be McKenzie. And then a bit of a... A bit of a gap then back to Forrest and Buckham. But those podium credits, people overlook those, don't they? It's so important to finish first, second or third in the main season. Just give you that edge as you get to the showdown. Well, I actually had this conversation with, with Scott Redding earlier on. Um, after race two, we, we kind of... I like to have a little catch up with him after each race and, and just sort of yeah. you know, see what he's thinking and, and, you know, take his thoughts and, and you know, just, yeah, just try and help in, in any way, shape or form that I can. And uh, it was interesting listening to him and, and talking about that and, and just saying, look, you know, okay, you finished off the podium today, yeah. um, but <laughs> not wanting to put you on under any pressure, but when round 10 starts at the championship, the gap or the deficit that you have to your teammate, if you have one, is the deficit you've got to make up over literally six or seven races. Um, yeah. And bear in mind that one race then is 25 points. You only need a mechanical or something like that or a crash in one of the showdown rounds. And, you know, it can really be a big problem. So, as you said, at the moment, there's only three points to um, Scott and a further two to um, Tommy Bridewell. 
Um, but let's just say, for instance, Josh Brooks pulls out a 25-point advantage over over the guys, he's got that mechanical in hand, or he's got yeah. that crash in hand. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, I remember what happened to Leon Haslam in 2017. He crashed at Donington. It really messed things up quite badly. It was 2017, actually, that he went away from me, um, and I started this round with a 32-point deficit at the end of the year and come back and beat him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah... They're, sorry, they're, 16, so I was thinking. Yeah, sorry, yeah. my apologies. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it, it really... And, and do you know what? That at that point in time, it is the most pressured point in the, in the whole season because there's only six of you that can win the championship. There's the guys that maybe you could argue from sort of seventh to tenth that are all thinking, oh my God, it's nearly the end of the year, I'm not going to get a job, and all of a sudden they pull their finger out. They want to get in the mix, especially if there's mixed conditions. Um, you know, So they're trying to be heroes, and you're trying to fight for a championship, but it's, it's so, so stressful. The showdown is absolutely fantastic for everybody hmm. other than the guys involved in the actual showdown. Yeah. The six riders in it and all the people around them, yeah. Uh, Forres, let's quickly talk about Forres, then we'll move on to Yamaha. Forres is still sixth, of course, three. Isn't it amazing how quickly things can change? Top three in both races, all three races, sorry, at Donington. And then, I'm not going to say they were nowhere here at Brands Hatch, but definitely out of the picture, Honda. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we actually had our, our conversation on, <laughs> on Eurosport with... Um, you know, between James Whitton, James Hayden and myself um, hmm. talking about the bikes. And I stood up for Honda a little bit because that team, you know, the, the Honda BSB team is a fantastic team. And, and, you know, when you talk about teams with pedigree and teams with great guys yeah. involved in it, that's one of them. I really enjoyed my time there in, in 2011. Um, you know, the team was always deemed to be a little bit too serious, you know, no smiles. You know, it was run by the time by Neil Tuxworth, who, who people kind of sometimes struggled to get on with a little bit, but I made that home, you know, and it was a, it was a fun team to work in. I had Chris Pike working for me, who's now Leon Camus crew chief. Um, and we actually won, well, we scored more points than anybody in the championship that year. It's just, we lost the showdown. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> the Honda bike um, works very well in certain situations. One of the situations it doesn't work so well in is undulating circuits. And the last time I rode it was the last of the FIM World Superbike spec rules. And I remember that the, if you like, the anti-wheelie system that we had used to be on overtime all the time. And you know, you used to go through rear brake, fun, you know, I used a thumb brake and you used to go through rear brake pads like they were going out of fashion. Which was why when the, the rules were introduced for 2012, I switched to Paul Bird's Kawasaki because the Kawasaki was deemed to have this big heavy crankshaft you know, there was going to be a lot of inertia, it wasn't going to spin up so quickly, it shouldn't wheelie so much, and it was one of the things that really concerned me about the Honda. Now, I spoke to Javi very briefly on the grid uh, before race two, and, and just said, Javi, que pasa? Um, oh, yeah, I heard that. Good and, Spanish uh, there, you're really picking up the lingo. <laughs> and he, he just, uh, I said, is it wheelie? And he just said it's, it's very difficult for him to put the, the power down on the on the crests and, and, you know, on the undulations of this track, much the same as it was at Alton Park. Um, but Donington Park being fast and flowing, especially in the national championship for uh, national circuit format, yeah. you know, the bike shone and, and as did Javi Forrest. Yamaha, difficult time for Yamaha. I was expecting the McCams Yamahas to be up there maybe not winning. I knew the Brooks was going to be strong here, but we expected them to be up there, didn't we? Taron McKenzie's weekend ended just as he came through to end his first flying lap. Of course, he never did in qualifying. And then Jason Halloran, eighth in race one, ninth in race two. I'm surprised. I'm very surprised. Um, you know, generally them two have been quite quite competitive, you know, and I don't mean that as in like, you know, they're, they're, they're fast. I mean that, you know, they kind of follow each other home, a bit like mm. the Tyco bikes we've seen today, you know, Christian and and uh, Peter and Keith have all kind of finished, you know, right next to each other, showing that that's where the bike is. So um, do I believe that, you know, Taron would have been perhaps eighth in that dry second race or tenth maybe behind Jason? No, but I do know that um, the Yamaha this year has a new swing arm in it, it has a new linkage, um, rear suspension linkage, has a little bit more power, so it's perhaps not the the bike that it was last year, but at certain circuits, I mean, look at Silverstone this year, um, the thing was super competitive, yeah. so, you know, I think it's, it's uh, the problem we've got with Brands Hatch is that three Ducatis 
um, won the dry race considerably from you know from the from the next bike. Um, in fact, the difference from uh, Ducati to to Danny Buchan in fourth place was 14 seconds, which is yeah not ideal. I'm just looking at the grid, I suppose also, because let's remember Halloran started on the front row of the grid today, but I suppose he was maybe caught out with the wet weather in the first race, so his fastest lap only put him 11th on the grid for the second race, so I suppose that caught him out as well, but even so, you would have expected him to be a little bit higher. I really like Jason, but how unlucky can one man be at the start of a year? If we'd got to this point and said Jason Halloran wouldn't have won a race yet, after pre-season testing in Silverstone and everything else, you would not have believed it, would you? Definitely not. I mean, pre-season testing, he's dominated. He's clicked with that Yamaha. Yeah. He looks so good on it as well. Um, I don't mean that as, you know, you know, what a cool style or whatever. They just mm. click. You know, they yeah. look they look as one together, you know, him and that Yamaha bike. And, you know, the McCams Yamaha team is a great team, a lot of experience. Um, you know, the World Superbike Yamaha team, they're doing a better job now. I mean, how ironic is it that um, they spent all that time chasing a green bike and then get to this year, they're beating the green bike and now the red one's cleared off, do you know what I mean? It's like, um, you know, you'd, you'd expect them to be somewhere near the sharp end and obviously Taron's crash, as I said, hasn't, hasn't helped the situation this weekend. Um, but it'd be interesting to, uh, I think there'll be more to Jason's race two result than, yeah. than simply Jason not doing a good job because yeah. I, when I rode the, the Honda back in 2011, um, I was actually pushing for, for Jason to, to jump on a superbike because I think he's a, he's a real good lad. He makes a, a big effort with his training. You know, he puts his heart and soul into racing as do most of them. But I also think he's a very talented guy. And as I said, he's, he's clicked with that Yamaha and I'm hoping that uh, you know, he's going to get the results he deserves very soon. Of course, because you and he were teammates, weren't you? Even though he was on the stocker, you were teammates that year. Yeah, great guy. I remember actually um, taking him cycling. We went from Cabot Park and cycled over to, um, to Skegness. And uh, <laughs> I, I was perhaps a little bit hard on him because um, I'd been doing a fair bit of cycling at the time. And... You know, one of my one of my old sponsors sorted him out a bicycle, and I was like, "Come on, we'll, we'll pedal over to Skegness. We'll take it easy." And we got there, and it had absolutely finished him. <laughs> and he ended up getting a cab back, but uh, that's not because I'm uh, that's not because I'm a super fit cyclist. It's just that that's a cruel sport, cycling. And if you're not doing it all yeah, the time yeah. and right on top of your game, it's hard to keep up with somebody that does ride quite often. Talking of cycling, I don't really follow it that closely, but Chris Froome looked like he had a lucky escape recently, didn't he? I don't know whether you follow it closely, but he's in hospital, isn't he, at the moment? Well, I don't know if he had a lucky escape. He's broken his leg and he's out yeah. the Tour de France. Yeah. So I don't, I don't no, consider yeah. that particularly lucky. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It could have been worse. He yeah. said he was lucky to be alive, apparently, but I don't follow it that closely. But obviously, are you quite a keen cyclist then? I love cycling, but unfortunately, at the moment, with the, with the situation I'm in with my body being so flipping fragile, which is so, so, so unbelievably frustrating, all I can do is sit on a turbo trainer indoors and I stare at the same computer screen on Zwift watching people pedal past thinking oh the surgeon says don't go mad surgeon says don't go mad you know when you're used to doing everything at 110 percent and you know mm. you're you're advised not to train above maybe 40 or 50 percent of your actual maximum it's like you know part of you feels like you're just wasting time and, and wasting your life mm. but the other part thinks well do you know what at least i'm doing something i could have quite easily quite easily not even have been here um and ironically enough my my surgeon told my wife that if it wasn't for the fact i was as fit as i was when i had the accident last year i probably wouldn't be here anyway so everything's a bonus just a quick update on that i don't want to keep boring you with it all through the year but as you've mentioned it anyway what's the latest now just out of interest could you get on a superbike and ride it and be all right or and, and then it's just the risk of if you did come off you really could hurt yourself badly or worse let's not even talk about it or could you not actually be strong enough to even ride the bike at the moment? If you said to me, Shaky, your future depends on riding a superbike yeah. today, yeah. I'd just have to say, well, sorry, mate, I'm going to have to retire because yeah. I can't even flip and ride a push bike without worrying about falling off one at the moment. Um, so that's it. You could ride it, but it's the worry if you came off and something happened. It's not the worry. It's the, it's the fact that nothing's nothing's yeah. together. There, there's right. too much damage at the moment to even contemplate it. However... I am an optimist and, and I do believe in the saying that time's a great healer. It's just I'm a flipping impatient optimist. <laughs> and, you know, my my next um, appointment with a surgeon isn't until September when I'll have a, a full medical review and CT scans again, MRI scans again. You know, my surgeon will go through absolutely everything. And hopefully, hopefully we will have made some progress. You know, I, I, 
I've spoken to a few people about it this weekend, actually. It's so hard because when I saw my surgeon last November, um, it was six months post-crash, and he told me that the difference between the November CT and MRI scans and the MRI and CT scans I had in March yeah. would give us a really good indication as to how much of a complete recovery I'd make. So, you know, I, I was me. I started to, to push a little bit. I started to, you know, train on the bicycle. I started to do this, started to do that, and found myself causing myself all sorts of problems. So backed off, got back on the, on the stationary bicycle, just doing my little gentle bit because I got a few warnings from my body that, that, that yeah. this really isn't cool. Yeah. Um, went to the doctor in February or March, whenever it was, had the CT and the MRI to see what the progress was being, to see what the prognosis might be for the future. Yeah. And unfortunately, despite the fact that I thought I'd done everything that I could possibly do in terms of hyperbaric chambers, laser therapy, magnetic field therapy, eating the right food, doing everything you could possibly do to hopefully get the all clear for March, my surgeon actually said, oh, this is a bit of a surprise. Um, it's actually not healed at all. It's not changed. Um, you know, there's no point coming back in two months like you have been. Um, don't come back till September. So that was like the biggest kick in the gentleman's area I think I've ever had in my life. And, you know, mentally it was really difficult to deal with because when I do something and I do it to the best of my ability, generally I do it quite well. Mm. Um, you know, I, I ride a motorbike to the best of my ability and, and I've won what I've won because of that. So when I put the best of my ability into trying to fix my body back together and get told actually it's done nothing, I, I didn't know how to deal with that and I yeah. still don't. So when people say to me, oh, you look really well, Shaky, oh, you're doing good, blah, 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 I think, yeah, but I feel like a flipping train crash. And the next review isn't until September. So every single BSB rounds, ah, oh, you know, when do you know if you're back on a bike? Yeah. I want nothing until September. And even if September's cool and things are healing a little bit, all of the metal has to come out, all the physio has to start, all of the other stuff has to start. So it just seems like uh, an incredibly long road at the moment. Are you actually in pain now, just sitting here? We're on a quite a comfy sofa, actually, but does it hurt as such? You're not really? Yeah, actually, do you know what? It doesn't matter if I tell you it hurts or it doesn't because it's not going to change, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm sat here right now, I'm really hurting, but I'm really hurting for a, for a couple of good reasons. Um, Amanda, the, the lady that looks after me here as, as a rider, yeah, you know, the BSB physio team, a great team. They, you know, they, they help the riders, whatever we've done, they patch us back together. The medics look after us, you know, if we need special attention, they'll fire us off to, you know, a certain hospital or whatever. When I broke my collarbone, they got in touch with, with Professor Funk for me and got the operation all sorted. They are fantastic people. And Amanda's been helping me all three days this weekend. Um, she helped me all three days in, um, in Donington Park. She's fantastic. She's actually done a load of work on, on that side, believe it or not, having physio on things like your um, lower abdominal muscles and where, where all of my little niggly problems are at the moment. Mm. You know, you'd expect to go there when you get arm pump or you'd expect to yeah. go there because you've hurt your shoulder or you'd yeah. expect to go there because you've done too much cycling and your legs are or whatever. But when somebody has such in intricate knowledge of the body in general and, and can help you out and make you feel more relaxed or more calm, when they, when they do the work they do for you, you have to hurt after because obviously they've yeah. moved everything around and yeah. yeah, sitting here I'm sore, but nobody knows it, nobody sees it, nobody, I'm not gonna say nobody cares because I'm sure they do, but yeah, it doesn't change anything if I say I hurt or I don't, but the bottom line is I'm here and I'm happy. Yeah, I suppose it's just so frustrating though, well, more than so frustrating, but because you can't, you're not really in control, are you really? You can't do anything, you're just waiting, you're in a holding pattern as you've said before. <laughs> yeah, I'm a 747 circling yeah. around Heathrow waiting to get the call to come yeah. into land. Yeah. There's always a lot of circling around Heathrow, isn't there? <laughs> um, we've only got a few minutes left, so I'm going to go through Twitter while you're talking at the end of this question, but uh, have a look at some of the good questions that have been coming in. So thanks very much, everyone. Just before I do, though, there was something we were chatting about yesterday, remember, in the media centre, just about how you find in the broadcast so far, and obviously you've done a few with us at Eurosport, you know, while you were even still riding, you came out to some world superbikes and you, you could always tell you enjoyed being on camera. You know, even after you'd won races, you'd like the media side of it. I'm just interested to know, A, are there any things you would have done differently while you were still riding, now knowing a bit more how the media side of it works? And B, 
we were talking in the media centre yesterday about how honest you like to be, and you've always been very honest, but you said sometimes I feel I could almost be even more honest. So how do you feel about that now? Do you know what? There's been there's been a number of occasions, um, you know, this year and in the past where at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you are, right? You have an opinion. Yeah. They're like, they're like, I don't want to say bomb holes, everybody's got one, right? <laughs> but everybody has an opinion, you know, whether yours is valid or, or invalid or whatever, you know, you've got an opinion. And sometimes to do this job, um, not a podcast, but to do the to do the Eurosport job, sometimes I maybe err on the side of caution when I when I give an opinion. And then a little bit later on, the 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 opinion that I've given becomes validated in a in a massive way and kind of makes me feel like, why didn't you just say exactly what you felt rather than just kind of tiptoeing around it? But you know what? At the same time, I'm not I'm not here to say, well, I'm I'm shaky burn and I'm a six time champion. I won more races than all of you. You're all Muppets and what I say is right and, and what everybody else says is wrong. Like I said, everybody has an opinion. I just, uh, I need to, I'm brand new in this job, right? I'm brand new at spending a season doing this job. And and maybe one day if my racing career is over, mm. I'd like to, to do this job properly and do it do it really well. But nobody goes into anything in the in the first full year as a as a seasoned pro you can't be yes i have a lot of knowledge on racing a motorbike and and what it takes to race a motorbike and and you know what people may or may not be doing wrong i just think that i need to perhaps believe in myself a little bit i'm not good at blowing my own trumpet if you like i'm not going to tell you i'm the best and i've done this and i've done that I'm good at being asked a question and giving a giving an honest answer, um, but at the same time, I got a lot of friends in the paddock, and I don't want to, for yeah. want of a better word, I don't know. If, are we allowed to swear in a podcast? I don't want to piss people off. You can swear if you want to. You already have now. Yeah, well, I, I did. <laughs> I put it out there. I put the big P bomb out. There. <laughs> well, obviously, all you lot listening know whether that's just been bleeped out or not. I don't. I don't think it's a problem. I don't think it's a problem. It wasn't that too bad, was it? Good for you for being honest. Um, thanks, thanks for that. That was interesting. Here's some uh, tweets coming in. This is uh, Dan Greenfield Smith earlier on today, 11 hours ago, actually, because I tweeted this morning. Uh, send some questions in ready for shaky at the end of the day. So thanks for that, Dan. Uh, a little bit relating to what we were just talking about. So he's basically said, hi, Greg and shaky. Shane hoping for a go on a V4, Ducati, obviously, uh, or if another bike or team presented itself for a test or a proper ride, would he take it? Neck permitting, of course. And then Dan's added, really enjoying the insight into the sport. Shaky's bringing along with the Jameses, Hayden and Whittam. So, uh, yeah, there you go. So if let's just say, you know, you could choose any bike in the field right now. That's basically what, that, what Dan's saying. What would you want to ride? Obviously, I love riding Ducatis. Um, but another question we've been asked, which we'll answer in a minute, actually, mm -hmm. one a little bit further up the, uh, the Twitter order. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like, Ducati have moved the goalpost this year, right? And they've done a fantastic job of developing a bike that's well within the rules and has gone out and, and won the majority of the World Superbike races and is looking super competitive here. However, if I were to be able to jump back on a bike right now, of course I'd want to jump on a Ducati because, you know, I enjoy riding Ducati bikes, I love the factory, I know the bosses, they know me, I get texts to ask if I'm healing and, and whatever else. So I have a good relationship with, you know, the whole factory, which is which is lovely. But just in some ways, it'd almost be nice to come back and try and win on something else, to mm. not only show that I can I can win races because that's proven, but to show that you could beat something that's deemed to be so much better at the moment than than all the other bikes out yeah. there. But yeah, my heart is, uh, is is pretty close to Ducati at the same time. I've got a question here about prize money, but we'll go to yours first if you want to. If you got that one up on well, your timeline. Yeah. So we got a question from a guy called Tony Sports Media. Do you know? I know Tony Sports Media on Twitter. Yeah, hi, yeah, Tony. Yeah. I don't know you in person, obviously, but thanks for this. Right, so he's asked, um, Greg Haynes TV, at 67 Shaky, why are the new entrants from other race series almost instantly wiping the floor mm. with the rest of the field? Just the difference between domestic and international series. Well, Tony, it's clear. <laughs> I'm not out there. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what it is. Um, Remember what he said about not blowing his own yeah, trumpet, no, by I the way? I was joking, I was joking, <laughs> yeah. right? So, yeah, I... I 
don't really know that that's a, a valid mm. point because yes you could say that Scott came in and won all three races at Donington Park a track that he won a one two five yeah. Grand Prix racing right mm. a track that he knows like the back of his hand a track he's rode around on MotoGP bikes and whatever else so he I knows his he way and Forrest had his podiums didn't he as well? yeah Forrest done a great job but he's rode there before um, put the Honda on the podium um, yeah. but at other tracks um, him and Andrew are fairly fairly kind of level and this is Andrew's yeah. first full season Andrew yeah. Irwin that is on the, on the, on the BSB bike with Honda um, and as for Hector Barbara another guy that really knows Donington well um, you know no axe to grind never rode a BSB bike before come in and, and just tried to enjoy riding a motorbike and done a great job but you could argue that he done a great job against a guy that's really struggling with the Kawasaki at the moment. Glenn Irwin's having a torrid time making the adaptation from the Ducati to the Kawasaki. So, Tony, I don't think that that's a, an extremely valid tweet, if you know what I mean. I think it's being a little bit unfair saying that they're coming in and wiping the floor with the rest of the field. Um, for sure there's a, a difference between domestic and international series racing racing um but let's just see how it goes when the shoe's on the other foot perhaps when scott goes to to world superbike if he does go and do the wild card and, and see how he gets on there here's one uh, there you go tony here's one from george uh my question is with regards to prize money that's quite an interesting question actually i don't really know the answer to this either is there any as I know, um, so he's saying, is there any prize money? As I know, a lot of riders have to pay to get a ride. That's absolutely true. Or does the majority of admission money go straight into the MSVR coffers? <laughs> Do you think Jonathan Palmer flies around in an Augusta 109, like uh, takes the thing to the cafe because he's making no money? Um, no, listen, <laughs> at the end of the day, um, there is no prize money in BSB. That's a fact. Um, however... What people don't understand and what people don't give Stuart Hicks credit for is the fact that MSV keeps the show on the road. Um, yeah. You know, not too much more needs to be said about it, but there's no prize money for the riders as such, which obviously being a rider, I, I wasn't overly happy with. However, um, let's just say there probably hmm. wouldn't be as many rides available in BSB if it wasn't for MSV in the first place. So you can make of that what you want, but um, MSV do a lot more for the championship than, than, than simply run it. So what you can say in their defence is that we do have this summer triple crown going on at the moment, don't we, with a sponsor Integros involved in that one with MSV, so they'll probably be pleased I've mentioned that. But there's this £75,000 prize up for grabs, or maybe a bit less, but that's quite a good initiative for a rider, isn't it? Just quickly then, before we sign off, I really just quickly wanted to mention Bradley Ray because I don't, I don't know what to say. People say, you know, what's up with, with Bradley Ray this year? We know Bradley Ray can do it. We know the team can do it. Something's not clicking, but, but what? You know what? I don't know, and I and I like the kid. Yeah. Um, I've tried to not help him as such, but I've, I've spoken to him a few times. You know, I've gone and gave him a pat on the back on the grid, and I've kind of told him. I actually told him at Donington Park. I said, a year ago, you won two races here. Remember that. Um, you know, to try and make him. I don't know, whatever it is, feel feel good about himself. And you know what? We we touched on it, I believe, didn't we, at, at Donington Park. The team have, uh, have really made a, a massive commitment to Bradley Ray. You know, they've switched suspension manufacturers from uh, Bichubo to Olin suspension to try to give him the, the feeling he needs. They bought him the the factory swinging arm or the Yoshimura mm. swinging arm, I believe it is. It might be a suitor one. I don't know what it is, but, you know, they've done everything that he's asked for any doubt that that could be there from a motorcycle point of view they they've ironed out you know so you know fair play to to steve and, and stuart hicken you know they're they are trying they're not just saying bradley it's you it's you it's you they're like right okay this is possibly a problem we'll replace it okay that's possibly a problem we'll replace that but at some point in time results need to come because they've bent over backwards to accommodate him they know he's a talented kid we all know he's a talented kid um what he's got to do to to get that confidence back i don't know we touched on it earlier with the, with the danny buckham thing um a happy rider is a fast rider a confident rider is a fast rider but um somewhere i don't know where it is it might be inside james whittam's hat actually because there was money falling out of that earlier on but um which was free apparently yeah there's some uh, there's some confidence missing and, and he just needs to find it and it's easier said than done you know sometimes you know you don't have a good feeling you push too hard and you go slow because of it 
Other times you're not pushing hard enough and you're going slow because of that. And then other times you try to take into account you was pushing too hard and, and try to, you know, find a different direction and a different way to go fast and that doesn't work either. So you're like, you know, you're completely stuck. Yeah. But ultimately, Sunday, when the flag drops, the bullshit stops, you've got to get on and you've got to race what you've got underneath you. Finally then, was there any point in your career, whether it was BSB or beforehand, when you did have a situation like that, and you're thinking, how the hell am I going to get out of this? You know, did that ever happen? And if it did, how did you get out of it? What did you do? Like I said, um, you know, we we know of plenty of Sunday men, don't we? Yeah. Um, you know, not all guys will claim to be the fastest guy over a lap, and not all guys will claim to be the fastest guy in qualifying. Not all guys will claim to be a, a free practice guy. Not all guys will claim to be a testing guy. But ultimately, none of that matters. It's what you do on Sunday um, that matters, or, or Saturday in, in World Superbike's case, and hmm. you know sometimes Saturdays in BSB cases if we're in a triple header. But yeah. as I said, you know, reality is when the flag drops, the ball stops. Get on with it, and you've got to figure out what you've got to do to get to the front from there on in. That's just done then. Thanks again for that. What you got going on now till uh, we've got, where are we? Knock Hill in two weeks' time. I've never been there before. I'm looking forward to that. We've got Mizana. Are you coming out to Mizana, aren't you, next weekend for World Supers? I am, yeah. Um, and I'm quite looking forward to it. However, the uh, the logistics of it all are a little bit tricky. Um, it's just <laughs> been sorted out literally this afternoon and I can't actually come until Saturday afternoon. So I'll miss um, I'll miss the the. the sprint race if you like on uh, no I missed the first race on yeah. Saturday yeah. but I will be there Saturday night and we will be working together again on Sunday and then yeah we'll be we'll be off up to Knock Hill I think we're aren't we supposed to meet at Knock Hill at a similar sort of time yeah we're supposed to meet at Edinburgh Airport aren't we I'm going in from Barcelona you're coming in from where Gatwick and we're supposed to meet and you can go and get the high car ready and I'll just no, I'll have the six time like, champion like waiting for me as well you know can I can I get you something With to eat like, well. what sandwich would you like Greg you know, do you want me to do you want me to sort that as well some caviar <laughs> or something like that yeah <laughs> six time champion waiting for me as a chauffeur yeah yeah it's not bad is it you better shut your eyes sunshine it's going to be an, it's going to be an interesting well, ride remember Herrera <laughs> well listen should we tell people are that right greg we might as well. greg is like uh greg is like steady greg right so you've never seen somebody so you know considerate so conservative in a in a hire car in your whole life i mean not that i'm claiming to be bad in a hire car just However, obviously you've got to consider the safety of all your passengers of course you have yeah, yeah. Stop and yourself stop talking nonsense and other anyway. road users and pedestrians yeah shut up <laughs> listen we got into this roundabout um with a few of us in the hire car greg's doing his considerate greg bit and i pulled the handbrake up in the hire car <laughs> from the, the back of the roundabout seat. In the middle of the yeah, in the middle of the roundabout, which sent Greg sideways and quickly released it and let it go. And what poor, the hell is going poor on? Greg nearly had a heart attack. I don't think he's ever been sideways in his whole life. And uh, yeah, definitely opened his eyes as to what's what is achievable in a higher car. And uh, had the rest of the car chuckling anyway. I get a taxi from Edinburgh Airport. You're gonna need one, sunshine. <laughs> I'll see you at uh, I'll see you in Italy. Thanks, Jake. I look forward to it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 